church who have caretakers who care for them and help them in all of their health needs. We need to pray that they have daily strength, that God will give them what they need each and every day to be helped. Okay, let's go ahead and pray and we'll open up our class. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much this morning we can gather here together and just be among your people and be among the, the uh, teaching of your word and the preaching of your word. We thank you for those who are involved in teaching Sunday school and in preaching. And we pray that you would help all of them to teach well and pray that you would guide our hearts and our minds as we open your word this morning. And we pray that you would just give us a blessing of listening to your word being taught. We pray for our pastor. Would you help him recover? And we also pray for those who are traveling this morning and those who are away from us who wish they could be here. We pray you would watch over them and keep them safe. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, the way I normally open up my Sunday school class, the teen Sunday school class, is through reading a little prayer, devotional thought out of the Valley of Vision. How many of you have heard of the Valley of Vision devotional book? So, quite a few of you. It's just a collection of Puritan prayers, and they're, they're very poetic. Now, it's not scripture, so it's not inspired, but where it does agree with scripture, there you should take it to heart and accord your, your life with it. So this one is called Christian Calling, which is the subject of my lesson this morning. And it starts out this way. O Lord God, the first act of calling is by thy command, in thy word. Come unto me, return unto me. The second is to let in light, so that I see that I am called particularly, and perceive the sweetness of the command as well as its truth. In regard to thy great love of the sinner, by inviting him to come, though vile, in regard to the end of the command, which is fellowship with thee, in regard to thy promise in the gospel, which is all of grace. Therefore, Lord, I need not search to see if I am elect or loved, for if I turn, thou wilt come to me. Christ has promised me fellowship if I take him, and the Spirit will pour out himself out on me, abolishing sin and punishment, assuring me of strength to persevere. It is thy pleasure to help all that pray for grace and come to thee for it. When my heart is unsavory with sin, sorrow, darkness, hell, only thy free grace can help me act with deep abasement under a sense of unworthiness. Let me lament for forgetting daily to come to thee and cleanse me from the deceit of bringing my heart to a duty because the act pleased me or appealed to reason. Grant that I may be salted with suffering, with every exactment tempered to my soul, every rod excellently fitted to my back, to chastise, humble, break me. Let me not overlook the hand that holds the rod, as thou didst not let me forget the rod that fell on Christ and drew me to him. A very eloquent, poetical expression of God's working in the life of a Christian, to draw them, whether by grace or by fitting every trial or suffering perfectly to the needs of that Christian. So turn in your Bibles this morning 
to the book of 1 Corinthians, if you will. 1 Corinthians and the 7th chapter. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. And the church at Corinth, to give you some background, cultural background, Vic taught on this quite a few months ago. But if you remember back when Vic was teaching on this, he mentioned the city was uh, a hub of trade. There were many different nations and sailors all meeting together in that city. And as a result, there were also many temples to diverse gods and all sorts of pagan idols. So it was really a hotbed of idolatry, a hotbed of pagan religion. And among all this going on, and you had the, the attending immorality with these temples as well. You had the temple prostitutes in each, in each area and all of the other trade going on along with that. So you would have Christians living among this. And how do Christians live when they're called to live in a culture that is pagan? When you're called to live in a culture that embraces many different nationalities, you had Greeks, you had Romans, and you had Jews, and Christians all right there in the same place. So Paul has to write several letters and make several visits to the Corinthian church and give them a lot of different instructions. So in chapter 7, Paul is teaching on marriage. So go ahead and look at verse 12. We'll start there. Paul has set up the chapter by teaching on marriage and teaching on what happens when an unbeliever and a believer are married or when two unbelievers, one of them becomes a Christian. What happens then? What is the Christian's duty? So in verse 12, this starts out uh, the rest of the section of that chapter. But to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But now they are holy. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. But God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? So this section, it's talking about that exact scenario of an unbelieving uh, husband or an unbelieving wife married to a believing husband or unbelieving wife. And now the Christian is concerned, what, what should I do in this scenario? Should I stay married or should, because I'm a Christian, because all things are made new, does something need to change? Now when it says in verse 14, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband, then it is not talking about a grace given to the unbelieving spouse that would somehow include them in the kingdom of God. They do not become saved just because their spouse is saved. I think we understand that probably. For the most part, that you would, you would not expect the righteousness of the saved spouse 
to give imputed righteousness to the unsaved spouse. No. But it's talking about that, that marriage is good. It, it, it can be used of God. And it's not wrong for the Christian finding themselves in that situation. Now, Paul also instructs elsewhere, do not be unequally yoked. So a Christian should never knowingly marry someone who is an unbeliever. That would be a sin because they would be unequally yoked. The Christian is seeking how they can please Christ and wanting to please Christ in all that they do. That's the highest priority. That is what the Christian is called to do. But the unbeliever is concerned only about whatever the unbeliever is concerned about, whether it's their job or their health or their finances or whatever it may be. It's certainly not a concern to run the race and please Christ as Christians should be. But Paul tells us, look at verse 16, for how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? Again, it's not as if the husband or wife can save their spouse. We cannot give salvation to another person. Only Christ can give salvation. But it's by the example of the believing spouse that the unbelieving spouse will hopefully be one, be drawn to Christ, be attracted to Christ, because Christ is so evident in the life of that believing spouse. So now that we understand that, Paul goes on right in the middle of, of talking about marriage. Uh, and he goes on after this particular section from verse 17 to verse 24. If you look at verse 25, he teaches more about marriage and betrothal and things like that. So we'll read just a little bit of that to give us even more context. Verse 25. Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment from the Lord, yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. I suppose, therefore, that this is good because of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But even if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, but I would spare you. And even this goes on, and, and this may be an important bit of context here in verse 29. But this I say, brethren, the time is short, so that from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use this world as not misusing it. For the form of this world is passing away. And he says, but I want you to be without care. He who is married cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. So we find here Paul saying there is a difference, a big difference between the unmarried and the married. I've almost been married for five years now. And I can tell you, I do think a lot about how to treat my wife, how to, how to care for my wife, and how to keep the marriage going smoothly 
how to keep you know, a roof over our heads, providing for us, and doing things like that. You, you have those cares as a married person. You care for your, sp your spouse and you want them to grow in the Lord or you want them to be a believer if you're in that situation where you became a believer and your spouse is not yet a believer. You want the ideal for them. You want them to become a Christian. But the person who is married will care about preserving their marriage, keeping their marriage healthy. And that's right. That's what God has given you. And we go into the aspect of the Christian's calling. So what is a Christian? What is the calling of God upon a Christian's life? What is calling in general? Well, calling is God's providential and sovereign ordering of your life for growth in love and service to him. That's a broad definition. And we'll get into some specific callings, what that means. But calling is God's providential and sovereign ordering of your life for growth in love and service to him. And that brings us to our main text this morning. If you'll turn and look at verse 17 of chapter 7. But as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so I ordain in all the churches. Was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. But keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can be made free, rather use it. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were brought, bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in that state in which he was called. So in the midst of this teaching of marriage, Paul is talking about calling, and it does tie in. The Bible is logical. The Bible is designed by God to be a coherent whole. The Bible is not contradictory. All of the pieces fit together. So does this piece with the rest of Paul's discourse. So in our callings, uh, we find, first of all, that the Lord calls his people. The Lord gives callings to his people. Verse 17, but as the Lord, but as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. So we find God calling his people. The Lord in the broadest sense gives many callings to his people. There's not just one calling. Here are a few examples of the callings that God gives. First of all, we're called out from the world and called to holiness. We're called to be holy, to be a holy people. Be holy because I am holy. The Lord admonishes us, follow him in his holiness, and he has called his people to be holy. So we're called out from the world, to be set apart from the world. We're also called to salvation, and we're also called to sanctification. We are called to salvation. Well, what does that mean? It means we have received 
the calling that God has put out and that God has sovereignly given that calling. And it's been an effectual calling. He has drawn us to himself because of the atonement of Christ. And that's why the calling is effective. If there was no atonement of Christ, there would be no effective calling. But since Christ's calling is effective to us, we've been called to salvation, called to be a set-apart people, and to be sanctified. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says that the will of God is our sanctification. So it is God's will that we be sanctified, that those who are his people grow in holiness and grow in being set apart to service for him. And that doesn't stop throughout our whole lives. Now in theology, there's been a debate about whether sanctification happens all at once and you, you are sanctified or then there's progressive sanctification and that happens over the course of your life. How do those two interact with one another? Well, I would simply suggest that in the first sense, you are set apart and you are sanctified when you are called of God to salvation, you are set apart. There are only two kinds of people in this world. Those who are called to salvation and those who are not. And that is the reality which we live in. So when the Lord calls us to salvation, he also calls us to sanctification, to a holy use for his service. There are vessels for honor and vessels for dishonor. And we are vessels that God has called to use in the service of his ministry. So we need to make sure that we are holy vessels, that we take concern and take care for holiness. Now if you'll turn over just to the book of Romans, not very far back in your New Testament, the book of Romans in chapter 8, I'll give you a little illustration of this. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Romans 8, 28, excuse me. Romans 8, 28 says this, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. So the people that God gives his calling to, he also justifies them. He also glorifies them. He also sanctifies them. And they're called to salvation. So that's another example of calling. We're also called to walk humbly with God. To do right, walk humbly with God. That's Micah 6, 8. Called to humility and obedience. And all Christians are called to the ministry of some sort. To have a ministry of some sort. It may just be that you pray and you you. You do evangelism whenever you have the opportunity. That may be your ministry. And you encourage the brethren 
There's nothing wrong with that ministry. In fact, we're all called to do those things. Some others may be called to preach. Some others may be called to teach. Some others may be called specifically to go out and evangelize or to go out and, and do missions in an area where the gospel hasn't reached yet. But all Christians are called to fulfill the Great Commission, right? We're all called to be disciple makers. We're all called to be those who go out into the highways and the byways, wherever our unique place is, which in itself, that's God's providential calling. You're not where you are today by mistake, by chance. It was God who placed you in the job you're in. It was God who placed you in the family you're in. It was God who placed you in the town you're in. Now these work together, and I can't explain the exact mystery of the providence of God and the sovereignty of God and how that interacts fully with our own choices. But we know that God gives us these things for a purpose. It's not random. So we're also called to use our spiritual gifts. And this is for the work of the ministry. Spiritual gifts are not something that should edify yourself in the sense of puffing yourself up for pride. And, oh, look what I can do. I've got all these different spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are something that you should use for the ministry. That's why they're given to you. To use to edify the body. Not just one member of the body, but the whole body. You need all of your toes. You need all of your fingers. You need all of your, your, your hands and your arms. The body needs to work together, and God has called us to do that. We're also to be a people who are called to be zealous for good works. I preached on this last Sunday night a little bit, that we are supposed to be working for the good of our neighbor. We're supposed to be working for the good and glory of God. He's placed us and given us these callings to be a people who are called to be zealous of good works. And this last example, although there are many others, and you should probably do a study sometime on all the different ways that calling is used in the scripture. Sometimes we can use terms maybe like grace or mercy or hope, and not really know scripturally the context of them. But that's our duty, is to understand how these things fit together. Not just what do popular teachers say about these terms that we use all the time. What do popular teachers say about calling? But what does the word actually say about our calling? And how the word calling is used. Or vocation is another word you could use that's very similar to calling. Or even portion, your portion. What has been given to you from God, that is your calling and your portion. But lastly, you're called to know the truth. Since we're in Romans, turn just a couple pages over to the 12th chapter of Romans. And we'll start in the first verse. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, 
by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ, and individual, individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith, or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortations, he who, who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So here Paul is describing another part of his theology, which is also biblical theology, which is that we all have a function with differing gifts and we all have a responsibility to know the truth about who we are, what our calling is, and use that for the glory of God. So turn back to 1 Corinthians 7, and we'll stay there for a while. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the Lord calls his people, he calls his people and gives many callings to them. We've seen those. And he gives differing callings. Each one of us in this room has a different calling. Each person who, is, who belongs to the Lord in this room has a calling that differs from the person right next to you or the person in front of you or, or whoever other Christian in the world that you can think of. You may have very similar callings. Callings can uh, be similar from one person to the next. You may be called to be a husband, to be a father, to be uh, in, in all these things. Christians share having a ministry of some sort, using spiritual gifts of some sort, being a people zealous of good works, called to salvation, called to sanctification, called to holiness. All of these, all of these aspects of the calling are the same among God's people. Now, differing callings, some are called to be in full-time ministry. Some are called only to part-time ministry. Some are called to be married. Some are called to be single. Some are called to be wealthy. Some are not called to be wealthy. I'd say probably most of us would not feel we're, we're called to be wealthy uh, despite the, the country that we live in. But we do find ourselves with a good deal of, of wealth in this area. Um, so God gives callings that differ. And each one should want to walk in the calling that he has. And not to envy and to, to fawn over or to idolize the calling of another Christian, but walk in the calling in which God has specifically given to you. Callings do differ. There are physical differences. 
And Paul cites one particular physical difference, and that difference is circumcision. So if you look at verse 18, was anyone called while well circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while well uncircumcised? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing, but the keeping of the commandments of God is what matters. So circumcision was a Jewish custom, and more than that, it was a command of God for the Jewish people for a certain time, until Christ came. Then circumcision was abolished. But circumcision does not equal a profit or a loss spiritually. Nor do any external physical differences. They don't give you a spiritual advantage or cost you something spiritually. They're outward differences. And what does Paul say? He says what matters is not the outward differences of your calling, of whatever state you were, specifically when the Lord called you to salvation, but it matters is keeping the commandment of God. That is what matters. What is the commandment? After all, what's the whole purpose of being called by God? To glorify Him, to use your calling in order to love God more and to edify the body of the church that you've been called to be a part of. So there's first physical differences, but then there's also circumstantial differences. And Paul mentions one that was very common in his day, starting in verse 20. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? So he mentions slavery as a, a calling for a Christian to be a Christian slave. Were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can be made free, rather use it. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. We shy away from that term because of its connotation in our American history. But that's the language that the Bible uses. That's the language that God chose. If we are called to be Christ's, then we are Christ's slave. Everything we have belongs to him. We can hold, we, we can get away with, we cannot get away with holding anything back from Christ. Because we're in bondage to him. We're a slave of Christ. And likewise, we are no longer a slave of sin. The person who is unregenerate, the person who does not believe, they are a slave, whether they want to be or not, but they do want to be, because that's the desire of the unregenerate person's heart, is to desire everything that is contrary to God. And so they have, uh, they have been a slave to sin their whole life. And each one of us who are converted and sitting here now, we were slaves to sin. We were slaves of the world and of the devil. But God redeemed us. Redemption. That is a purchase with his blood that he made so that we would be his. Not that so we would be free agents running around and say, well, he set me free and then he let me go do whatever I want. No, we owe him obedience. 
because we belong to him. And you really would not want to be your own free agent. What would you do if you were your own free agent? You would most likely mess up whatever good God has done in your life. But God calls us to be his slave, Christ's slave. Likewise, if we were slaves, although slavery is not as common as it was hundreds of years ago, there still are countries in this world who practice slavery. And if you were called, if you were living as a slave in that country, this is still relevant today. It's relevant for us in principle. But it's also relevant for them in actuality because they are still slaves. So even though they have a master, they should seek freedom, Paul says. But if they cannot be freed, do not be concerned about it. In other words, be content. The Lord has called you and you are free to do as the Lord would have you to do. Even if you are another man's slave. So God gives different callings. We've seen the physical differences. We've seen some circumstantial differences. Slavery or freedom is just one of them. Married or unmarried. That's mainly what the context of this passage is about. Whether you're married or unmarried, that is a calling. Whether you're wealthy or you're poor, that is a calling of God. Whether you have sickness or you have health. That is God's calling in your life. Whether you know a lot, whether you've had the privilege of, of a higher education or not. That is God's calling in your life. Whether you're famous or infamous. No. <laughs> whether you're famous or not famous. God has called you to have the amount of influence and prestige that you have whether you're under the authority of, of your parents or not. You children, that is, is your calling. Even those of you who are older, you still honor your parents. You still obey them in, in some regards, even though you have a degree of freedom. But God has all of these different callings of circumstances. Now, do these callings ever change? Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Those who are married may find themselves not married, whether by tragedy or by really a, another tragedy of divorce or tragedy of loss of life. Those who are married can become unmarried. Those who are wealthy can become poor. Those who are poor, although we don't see it often happen, can become wealthy. Sickness can be remedied. Sickness can be cured sometimes. Or health can be lost. Learning or, or whether you have a higher education or not, you could change that. But whatever the point is, whatever calling that you have from the Lord, you walk in that calling until God changes the calling or until you die and you are taken to heaven to be with him. What is our duty in response to God's call? With the few minutes we have left, Let's look at our duty in our response to the Lord's callings on our life. Well, first of all, we should have gratefulness that we are called. We are a chosen people. We are a people 
that God has separated for his purposes and made us holy. Not in the same way that, that Paul was talking about with an unbelieving husband and a believing wife or the other way around. But this is actual holiness. We are given the holiness of Christ as he sanctifies us, as he works in our life to make us holy and conform to his image. So we should express thanks and be gratefulness. In fact, we are commanded to be thankful for all things. But it should be our response. Even if we were not commanded to be grateful, it should be our response to worship the Lord because he has called us out and chosen us, not because of anything we did. That's a reminder that we need, that it was never our doing. It was always the Lord working in our life, lives and his showing his wonderful grace upon us that gave us the callings that we have. Also remember in our callings, uh, remember to be content in our callings. We can often see other people's callings and say, oh, if only I was called to, be, to have a life like that person. If only I was called to be famous and, and preach to 50,000 people in a stadium. Or if only I was called to be a, a notable missionary to a country that's never been reached before. Or translate the Bible into a new language. Well, all those things, they're, they're great if they're done right and done from the Lord. That may not be your calling. I believe it was Paul Washer I was listening to one time who said, if you want to be a missionary in Africa, but God wants you to be a janitor in the Midwest, you better be a janitor in the Midwest. <laughs> because it's not about what you do as long as you're doing something that's not sinful, it's about who you are serving and how he has called you. The portion that he has given to you. You don't choose, he does. He gives you. And you gratefully be content and remain in your calling. Walk in the calling that you have been given. And remember this. Look at verse um, 15 of chapter 7, 1 Corinthians 7. The last part of verse, verse 15 says, but God has called us to peace. God has called us to peace. We do not have to worry about those things because the Lord has called us to a peace and a rest in the fact that we are content with him choosing for us what he has deemed best. Remember, God gives us good, wise things and all things work together according to his purposes but we should seek to improve things if we can if you ever found yourself a slave then you should seek to be freed if that would glorify God more if that would improve your ministry but if it would glorify God that you remained a slave then you should do that whatever would be of best service to the Lord. But we're called to peace. We're called to seek to improve things if we can. And we're also called not to let the social pressures of other people or our own lusts or our own foolishness 
make us the slaves of man again. And this principle is broader than that. We shouldn't let anything come in the way of fulfilling God's callings on our lives. In verse 20, uh, 23, it says, You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in that state in which he was called. So don't enslave yourself to anything. Don't let anything master you or get in the way of fulfilling that calling God has given you. But live and walk with God embracing all that he's given you. Embracing the call to holiness. Embracing the call to humility and obedience. Embracing the call, these high callings of being called a servant of Christ. A high calling of being a person who is a member of the body of Christ, zealous of good works. A high calling to be an ambassador for Christ to the world. So I think that we can be content with all the blessings and the wonderful things that God has called us to in order to glorify himself through his ministry in the church. So brethren, just walk as you are called and trust the Lord in that, that he knows what's best and he will give you all you need to fulfill your calling. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have given us this time to discuss your calling upon our lives. And I pray that you would help us to recognize what we are called to do, to remind ourselves of it, and to walk contentedly in the callings which you have provided us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.